Welcome to the Journey to Midwifery podcast. I'm your host, Amber Wilson, a doctor, nurse, midwife, turned podcast host. It is our job and passion as midwives to listen to everyone else's story, their journey, their birth story. Now it's our turn to share. So here I am asking these midwives, what's your story? Join me each episode to hear the journey, the passion, and the mission of midwives today. Okay. Hello, everybody. Today on my podcast, I am so excited to have the Instagram Haitian midwife, also real name known as Loads, who's a certified nurse <laughs> midwife in Georgia. So thank you for coming on with me and say hello. Hi, how are you, Amber? Thank you for your patience. And I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> me too. <laughs> So, so tell us where you're at. Where, where's your, where are you practicing? So I practice in Albany, Georgia. Uh, it is in southwestern Georgia. It's actually a fun fact. Um, in the top ten of largest cities in Georgia, um, but it's considered urban rural city. Has about uh, seventy-five thousand people. And most of Southwest Georgia, for those who don't know, the um, industry is primarily agriculture and um, companies such as like Coors, uh, Procter and Gamble. But it's it's a pretty rural place. <laughs> wow! And for frame of reference, how far from Atlanta are you? I am, that's a great question. I'm three hours away from Georgia, I mean Atlanta, uh, four hours away from Savannah, and about four hours away from Augusta. Okay. So tell us why you became a midwife. What made you go Uh, into this field? Yeah, you know, I think if you, if I knew this, I think it's a bit complicated. I was doing public health work and everyone just thought I was a midwife because I was attracted to maternal and child health projects and funding those. And I was always coming around to those interventions. Um, Being overseas doing international development work, I really just got to work with midwives that were advocating, lobbying, creating public health programs. And then when I came back to the States doing domestic work, I realized I didn't need a passport stamp. Uh, There were communities that had the same outcomes as any other country, rural um, village that I'd been working in. And so I think for me, that shift kind of happened, uh, really wanting to work in the U.S. And I decided to go to midwifery school because I really wanted to work with um, communities and people who were losing moms and children. And so um, I applied to jobs in Alaska and in the South. I knew that um, I wanted to be at a fairly qualified health center working um, with people who maybe didn't have the most access And I knew I was interested in rural health. I just, that made sense to me. Um, And so I found my way to Albany, Georgia. And I love being a midwife. Um, Every day, you never know what you're going to get. And I still really believe in, um, I think the power of midwifery is really, in my opinion, the intersection of full scope midwifery and being public health minded because to me that's the win-win because you really get to take care of one person in front of you but then you get to take care of families and you get to take care of communities so yeah mm -hmm. now to back up were you a nurse in the public health role No, I wasn't. I actually just had my master's in public health. I was more managing and implementing programs 
And so, um, yeah, I was a direct entry. Like I became a nurse so that I could become a midwife. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And where'd you go to school to do that? Uh, I went to Columbia, uh, a few years ago. So, yeah. Well, the, I always feel like midwifery is very public health related, just as you said. Mm-hmm. Or we hope it is. I mean, I think depending on your patient population, sometimes we think the public health lens isn't needed, but I would disagree with that. Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> how did you go through school? What did you use? Like, did you get a scholarship? Did you have financial aid? So, um, I try to be, I try to be transparent about it. So, um, Columbia is a crap ton of money as folks know, if you're interested in being a midwife. So, um, the first part I had a little bit of savings and then, so I used savings. I took out a, um, a loan as well. Um, and then my midwifery education, um, I got a national nurse, the nurse course scholarship. And so I currently owe two years of service. Um, so that's kind of how I made it work. And that is at a federally qualified center. health center. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So how is that how you found your job was through that website? Yeah, you know, um, so here they advertise, I have to say, the site where I'm at, it's like an ambassador site. They work really closely with National Health Scholarship Corps, Nurse Corps, and there are really all those incentives um, for providers to stay here um, to the point where if you stay on, for example, like another year, there's like a $25, $25,000 add-on to repay those loans. Um, nice. So, you know, but then one would say, you know, you may just want to leave and do something else. Uh, the, that isn't incentive enough anymore. So it kind of just depends where you are. But, um, yes, I did find out through the HRSA site, um, And I also, um, because I was considering uh, the IHS system, I reached out to some um, Native, Indigenous, and Alaska Native midwives, because Alaska was where I really was considering. It was very high on my list. Why Alaska? It is overwhelmingly beautiful. And I think the more I learned about Alaska, and Alaska Native women, I think it's, we don't hear that much about Native women, in my opinion, and maternal mortality. Um, and I, I, just, I just really, really loved it. And I was like, wow, I didn't know this. It wasn't in my consciousness. And um, it's, it's a beautiful place. Do you think you'll go there someday? You know, I think I'm definitely open to opportunity. I love where I am. I love the patients. Um, And, you know, I think wherever I go, I want to be of service. Um, So, you know, we we will see. (laughs) Yeah. So you got through school. Did you work also while you were in school? I did little jobs like dueling, Mm -hmm. um, doing a little bit of breastfeeding support, um, but no, it was really hard, in my opinion, to work and go to school, at least because I wasn't a nurse. And then um, then I think I got into some of the job opportunities a little late, such as like flu shots and other things like that. Yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. And then what made you decide ultimately to go down to Georgia? Oh, it was, it was, I walked in this place and I was like, oh, this is where I'm going to work. I mean, on my interview, I, I knew the patient population was what I wanted to be working with. Um, it's primarily, I think, uh, people who use public insurance. 
um, like pregnancy Medicaid, and Georgia is not a state that um, accepted or opted into the Affordable Care Act. So um, it's very, very underinsured. And um, it, I just love the patients here. Like, I, I do have a dream job. The patients are amazing. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. So what mm-hmm. is your, what does it look like for you? What is your clinic week look like? What does your call week look like? Yeah, yeah. So my, so the federally qualified health center that I work for, midwives um, sometimes don't always get to do a lot of gyne. And I actually love doing gyne. Um, and so we work anywhere from a five-week work week, so it could be we're in clinic every day. Our patient count, sometimes on our panel, we're double or triple booked, so sometimes you would have 10 patients a day to maybe 26 scheduled, and then maybe you'll have walk-ins or something like that. If you're on call, you go to the hospital. We do 24-hour and 72-hour call, so... Um, 24-hour call is you go to the hospital, you round, you know, check if anyone's in labor, you in the afternoon come back to the clinic, and then go back to the hospital as needed. Um, 72-hour call is Friday till Monday morning. (laughs) And do you have to stay in the hospital the whole 72 hours, or can you be called from home? Oh, you could take call. I mean, I I live maybe ten minutes, seven mm-hmm. minutes from the hospital. So if there's nothing going on, no, you're not expected to stay in the hospital. Okay, well that's good. That could get be a long weekend. <laughs> yes, but for some people who live a little further, they just stay in the hospital. They have a call room. Yeah, there's sure. A gym. You know, you can go run your errands. It just yeah. kind of depends on the census. So, yeah. So, what is, how many babies are you guys um, delivering a month? Catching, um, I should say. Month, well, I think we're on average about 100 a month. Um, so, we do about 70 births vaginally a month, okay. 70 to 80. And then we could say like 30 to 20 C-sections a month. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And how long have you been in practice? So I have been in practice here for almost two years. It's been a year and yeah, it's been a year and it's almost 11 months and a few days. So it's, it's really crazy. It goes by fast, doesn't it? It does. It does. I was like, wait, what? I've been a midwife for almost two years. That's wild. That's wild. Um, Yeah. So what is your why now that you've been a midwife? What what keeps you going to work? Why are you a midwife today? I want to do more. And I want to emphasize that my doing more doesn't mean that I want to be a doctor. It doesn't mean I want to work outside of my scope. It means as a midwife, there's so much more we can be doing. For example, I really want to be doing gender-affirming therapy uh, now, not, mm-hmm. you know, now. Um, I deeply believe that um, abortion care is part of being a midwife. Um, and there are just limitations when you're in a federally qualified health center. Um, so, yeah. And then um, what else do I want to be doing? I mean... Copos are interesting. I do um, also like uh, doing a bit of first assist work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just nice to actually really be with your patient after you've been laboring with them. You know, you think of risk and benefits. You think of, you know, just what's going on. It's nice to go into the OR and they're like, thanks for being there with me loads. I'm like, no problem. Mm-hmm. Um and I just feel like it really, and then, then the next day to like round on the person, it's like, wow, we've been together every step of the way. 
Um, so that's just really nice. Um, yeah. So some of the things you wanting to do, like um, the abortion care and gender therapy, you're not able to do where you're at right now? Not at this moment. Okay. Maybe someday, hopefully. I hope so. I mean, for the gender affirming therapy, I mean, this federally qualified health center, we will we'll never be doing, um, and with the law, it's um, uh, abortion. Never. Yeah. Now, how about independent practice in Georgia? What are the laws for midwives there? Supervisory state. So I left a state like New York, uh, which is independent practice, to come to supervisory state, um, which is kind of hard because, you know, this is still the place where everyone calls you like a mid-level. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's definitely that kind of culture. Like some doctors won't give you a report. They only talk to doctors, like ridiculous things like that. Mm. That's disheartening. It is also, you know, I think, um, so my, the midwifery program director I had, her name is Laura Zidenstein, and she would um, say, and the other uh, assistant program directors um, at the, well, the professors, Rebecca Roop and Maria Corsaro, you know, they would kind of stress, like, Sometimes the things you think are important as a provider or as um, even a doula, sometimes they're not that important to the patient. Do you understand? So like, you know, you know, the fact that there's like a doctor who's like, what do mid- you know, what do midwives even do? Mm-hmm. My patient doesn't need to know that because at the end of the day, my patient knows when I come into that room. I'm there for them. They see me there all the time. They're like, do you even go home? Like they don't, they don't, they're not involved in that. And so sometimes I think, you know, we're supposed to protect our patients from that because you know what? I don't want that doctor to be giving our patients care. So, you know, that's the added benefit of having a midwife and our patients, you know, they don't need to know all of that. And, you know, I think that's why they have, you know, such an appreciation for us. I, so, yeah. I definitely agree that they don't need to know that. But I still think <laughs> it's it's disheartening that yeah. you have worked for this and you are mm-hmm. you know, still feeling not appreciated or respected by someone who should be your colleague. Exactly. I mean, that is like a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. But, but I feel like in our group, we don't have that problem. Well, that's good. And hopefully it's changing because we never have said we are physicians. We have a Uh different scope. We just ask for mutual respect of that. Uh So, um, so living in rural Georgia, tell me what are some things you see? It's deep South. We know as, I mean, just quoting statistics, the mortality Uh and morbidity is higher in that area in general. Um, what are you seeing? What are your thoughts on that? What are some problems you're seeing in your practice that could be better? Just mm. don't tell me. Ooh. <coughs> Ooh. Hmm. I know. I feel like I need to break <laughs> that question down. Wait, can you ask me one more time? Because now I'm like, ooh, you just, you said, I should have been writing it. There were a few questions in that. Okay, I'll break it up yeah. and say... Um, what are some things you see in maternity care where you're at that you feel contributes to the higher maternal mortality in a federal qualified system mm-hmm. or, and or that could be improved? Okay. So, uh, I mean, one, we're, we tend to be overbooked. I know it sounds like it's it's really rare that I only have 10 patients. That's not the norm or the normal flow. Um, so maybe I'm going to take a step back to discuss the environment because I don't think I can answer. I think the question you're asking me is more like the flowers or what's blooming. And mm-hmm. I need to maybe answer and tell you 
why these things were able to bloom. Mm -hmm. So I live in a place where people do have like this disdain for people that are poor and underinsured. I, I don't know exactly why, but that exists, you know, and yes, I know the whys, like the systemic racism uh, and classism and just, you know, a system that is, does not like poor people. Um, so I think when these families, people um, come and say, okay, I'm pregnant now and I don't know what to do, um, people get angry at that. They get angry that you're meeting birthing people who had decided to have abortions at some point in their life. Um, so I think in general, my opinion is our patients are getting amazing care from us at a fairly qualified health center. I do believe that you have really smart, caring providers that we, we care about our patients. I think the system doesn't. So mm -hmm. we will, for example, write prescriptions that are needed, absolutely needed, and patients can't get it. <laughs> you know, um, I think that sometimes our patients can't make their visits because of transportation. And these are patients we need to follow closer. And I will say, you know, I hate that cliche, like a high-risk practice. There are definitely patients that shouldn't even know a midwife. They should not know my name. They don't need, I should not be seeing them. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, because we don't have enough doctors, we we're doing the best we can. And that's why, you know, we have to uh, manage with our MDs for these cases. I mean, I'm not saying based on the scheduling and based on just the way Georgia is right now. Um, so these are patients that 100%, like maybe 65, 70, definitely 75% of our patients would only be seeing doctors it doesn't matter where you go. The answer would be, you need a doctor. Mm. And so, yes. And so our doctors, you know, we work with them, we trust them. And then, you know, we do try to make sure they're scheduled to see doctors. But um, I think as a result, you have midwives that don't have a, our threshold is really low because we, we see unfortunately day in and day out the complications um, and I think what happens is, you know, midwifery is an art and a science, and we we are kind of getting fine-tuned in the nuances of care. So our maternal mortality rate in Albany, I will say in Albany, in the patients we take care of, our rate's really low, um, quite honestly. And honestly, the patients who maybe have... Um, if we've had demises, these are people like, you know, we're talking renal failure, congestive mm. heart failure, things that like an MFM should only be monitoring. And I, I'm, you know, I'll say like, um, these are some of those cases you hear about, like, you know, how should people with all of these conditions their risk for demise as soon as they get pregnant mm -hmm. so I think we see sometimes those patients as well those outliers but that's that's not the norm of what we see um so I think in our practice we don't have such a high mortality mortality rate and I think it's quite honestly our doctors have lower thresholds um and you know they would much rather see a healthy mom a healthy baby that's alive. Yeah. So um, that's kind of where we are. We do not, we, we see preeclampsia so much. Like um, when I hear other people who, you know, talk about their experience with preeclampsia, I'm like, what, what were you guys waiting for? <laughs> that, that's not here. And so I think we actually provide really good care. I think what's hard is when you are tri triple booked, with high-risk patients. Yeah. These are not like just, okay, just a belly check. Oh, no, 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 no. These are, uh, 
I think, you know, this person might need a specialist. They may need, you know, a cardiologist. They need the hematologist. They need all these things in addition to only seeing a doctor and an MFM. Yeah. Yeah. So and I it's think, easy to miss stuff when you're so overwhelmed with being overbooked, I would imagine. And that's the biggest thing. You don't want to miss anything. Right. So uh, then it's the, you know, also the fatigue um, and then having to lock charts and just making sure you're not missing anything. I think that's my big thing. I don't want to miss anything. Mm-hmm. Or, um the big thing is sometimes we get patients who've had no prenatal care, um, and then I'll be the person that's on call, and um, you get all of these anomalies, and you're like, whoa. So I think it's the unknown that really contributes um, for, for here where I'm practicing. That's what I can say in my um, about two years of experience, because mm-hmm. I think the team has realized there's so much we can't control for um, that we we really know what's in the window of normal and what's not. And when it's not in the window of normal, we're, we're aggressive. And I, I can appreciate that. I, yeah. I definitely, you know, had some views and they've changed. And, you know, when you see babies that have to suffer you see moms that have to suffer it's like rightly so be aggressive <laughs> so yeah. i think our patients get really good care here um because they're insured <laughs> and you know um we can refer for all the specialists when they're in prenatal care and you know take care of the underlying conditions so that's what i would say well, it sounds like you are definitely all of your team is making strides and, you know, improving that statistic. So even though you might live in a generalized area, like I said, mm-hmm. but in your little crook of the world, you're doing these huge things and being astute providers and caring for people like you should be caring for people even when you're feeling overwhelmed. And I think that's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I think uh, some days I honestly just forget that because that that's not what drives me. I think what I'm the person, at least when it comes to my work, is like, what am I not doing? What am I missing? Um, of course, I focus on like, to me, the minimum is not what I ever want to be. I don't want to be a C student. I don't want to be a C midwife. I don't want to provide C-level care, and that's, like, average. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm never interested in the minimum. It's what should we be providing for this patient and what's in front of us and just reassuring patients. I mean, reassurance goes such a long way, and it's letting them know what's in the window of normal and what's not. And the other thing is you know your body better than I do. You know, yeah. if you – if you're feeling that something's wrong and it's nagging at you, come in, come in, <laughs> come yeah. in, you know? So um, I think it's that, I think it's that. And, and I think you just have to love being in a federally qualified health center and this isn't everyone's jam. So I think that also makes it fun and I'm grateful for it. And I find purpose here. So I got a thinker for you. Do you think Mm -hmm. being when you work constantly with a population that has so many comorbidities and high risk factors, do Mm -hmm. you feel like it causes really kind of everybody to be more on edge or over intervene in pregnancies that really don't need it? That's a great question. Hmm. And prenatally, I think no. When you come to the hospital, the hospital is not in our control. And I think that's what's hard. And I think it's the way privileges are given and the way all of those things are. There are just some attendings that are like, you have a patient who comes in, you break their bag of water, you put an FSC and an IEPC, 
And I mean, I've definitely gotten in trouble for not doing those things. And I, and I don't do those things and I get in trouble for that. Um, because so I you as I the really midwife do not get to decide if they get admitted or not? Oh, no, we don't get to decide if they get admitted or not anymore. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yes, mind blown. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you just have to deal with what someone else decides is admission worthy. <laughs> exactly. Oh, okay. And so and many things. Folks, we could have another yeah. podcast on that. And for folks that are listening, most of the time, um, even if you work with several practices, and Amber, correct me if I'm wrong, you the way it used to be is I used to come to the hospital or I'd be at the hospital, honestly, and I triage patients as they come in, my own practices patients, yes. and then either get to them, observe them or decide if they needed to be admit, admitted or right. just extend, observe them. Right now, that's not the way it is at our practice. Hospitalists um, admit and then we get report. And then sometimes, you know, depending on what it is, you know, that also puts us in a bind. So you can't, if things don't uh, resolve, then we're kind of tied and have to start an induction or have to get this person delivered based on someone else's assessment. So, yeah. (laughs) What was the rationale? Do you know what was the rationale for that? Because I feel like that breaks the continuity so much. I don't, I'm not a executive. Sure. I'm sure it has some financial implications, but also for quality of care. I think we wanted to make sure patients were actually being seen. So sometimes, uh, especially in rural places, the nurses end up doing and seeing a lot of your patients and potentially like back in the old days, you used to be able to just, um, maybe phone manage your patient, which is obviously unacceptable. But I think in some rural places that might've been the practice. And so maybe they had the right intention, but you have to also think about what this population in this community really looks like. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't always a big issue. So, yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. That's mm-hmm. all I'm going to say. Exactly. <laughs> well, you guys feel free to comment in the section. Leave yeah, your comments and, about that. Ooh, and frustrating, really frustrating. Um, mm-hmm. Gosh, um, I, I don't even know how you would begin to change that. That's huge. <laughs> okay, um, so I'll have another thinker for you. I... Mm-hmm. As, as I'm going through your page and reading all your awesome things that you have to say, you brought up a great point um, for people who don't see you. Loads is a midwife of color. And so mm-hmm. you brought up the point that midwifery is really primarily Caucasian women. Mm-hmm. And so in your opinion, as a person of color, what mm-hmm. can we do to change that? Because we know I mean, there's probably studies out there. I think I've read some that when you're a person of color, you do, in fact, improve health outcomes in populations of color. Mm -hmm. So we need providers of color. How do we Mm -hmm. what can we do to improve that? Or the world, society, scholarships, something. What's your thoughts? Mm -hmm. So. So, yeah, for folks that can't tell, I'm a black midwife, and um, I know that uh, I think it's important to have a lot more color in midwifery, and I would say a lot more color in medicine. It's not Mm -hmm. going to hurt, um, bottom line. But I think in midwifery, what because now I have a bit more time, a little bit more experience, and I'm going to forever, I think, be trying to answer this question, honestly. Mm -hmm. But where I am right now, I just think that people, midwives, don't think there's a problem. So that's first. 
I think midwives think that there's a problem with maternal mortality and it's bad, but I honestly think midwives like, um, don't think it's a problem to go to, to be in a class with just other white midwives or other Mm -hmm. midwives that are from the same socioeconomic class from you and have the same story. That's not a problem. And I think that is what is dangerous because we have these like birth stories, midwife stories, these narratives um, about what got you into midwifery. And I think midwifery doesn't always have to be so like warm and fuzzy. And, you know, that's just my three cents. I think sometimes it has to be like we are attacking like cancer, like you want to put more people of color as midwives, treat it as an urgency. You know, if we were talking about breast cancer stage four, there would be no one that's like, most people are not like, you know what? I'm just going to do yoga and I'm just going to take time off and disconnect. Of course, there are people who do that. And I'm not minimizing any alternative um, and complementary and like intuitive healing. I'm not, I don't want to get that. But if we are saying this is a national emergency, a crisis, Mm -hmm. the first thing isn't, well, what do you want to do? It's like, hey, we want to pull out the big guns, right? Um, But more importantly, we want to offer you all the therapies that are needed. You have the right to decline. And so schools need to understand the impact of not having midwives of color. So one, you got to recruit so many midwifery schools don't recruit. They're like, eh, you just kind of find out about midwifery. You're kind of interested. Yeah. So I think there's like, we need to recruit. And I think some schools think they're better than that. Like, um, I can't, I can never imagine like <laughs> Yale or Columbia going to a recruiting thing, <laughs> you know, or, or frontier for that matter, because they're like, you just know about us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you need to recruit. Um, I think you need to make sure your classrooms, if everybody is only one ethnicity, you need to go, well, why is that? And you, it's, it's, it's old to say it's a cost. Everyone knows like a tel- Tesla is an expensive vehicle, right? But mm-hmm. some people still get it. So how is that? <laughs> you know, like, you know, now there are more affordable versions of Tesla. You don't just keep on saying it's just an expensive vehicle. It's midwifery school is just expensive. Oh, well. So I think we're not asking better questions. Um, yes. Yes. Financial aid makes a difference because the truth is midwifery is not a big moneymaker. If you, mm-hmm. you want to, if you want to go into the moneymaker and me, Amber, I think you might agree. You'd become an OBGYN. So mm-hmm. this isn't the return on investment is not necessarily monetary. Now, you'll be solidly, you know, middle class. I'm not going to lie, but, you know, you'll be paying student loans for a while. Yeah. If, if depending on the school you go to, let's just be honest. So financial aid um, that are grants them, that can keep people in programs so that they do not leave because of costs are needed. And then three, I think you need to make sure you have support. You know, we talk so much about supporting women, supporting birthing people. And I've heard too many stories of, you know, when you're in midwifery school, when you're um, a new midwife, of stories that are not supportive. I just think it's complete BS that you know how to support a patient, but you don't know how to support your colleague. Like, what kind of crap is that? So, you know, if you're hazing me, I don't know. I have some common sense. Why would I want to join this club? Are you crazy? You know, so I think the other thing so often with the questions is like, well, you know, why aren't there midwives of color? It's like, well, why haven't you tried to... I guess the solution is the question is always like general, like, what are we doing about racism? What are we doing about sexism? No, 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 no. Loads, what are you doing about the problem? Like, how do we individualize it? 
because then we have collective responsibility. And it doesn't have to be like everyone thinks, oh, my goodness, I can't afford to pay for someone's tuition at this thing. No, but there's a lot of other things that go into being in school. Mm-hmm. It's not just that, you know, tuition payment. It's also mentoring. It's also support. It's also sometimes sharing notes. You know, it's also helping sure people get it and then supporting new midwives because it's hard out there. You know, it is hard. Also making sure people that start midwife free school graduate. You know, I can't emphasize that. We have so many people who are like, I've heard, um, well, I don't know if I could share this story, but I hope she's not mad. You know, there was someone I've heard several times over, and especially when I was in New York, I didn't really understand. I'm like, man, why would someone start at a midwifery school, not finish? Like, I've heard stories of people going to, like, two, sometimes three different midwifery schools. I was like, that's that, that's crazy. What is going yeah. on? <laughs> I have not heard that. Right? Usually they start and they finish. Well, there's no support. Or, like, yeah. maybe a personal thing happened and people make it seem like, to me, after having, like, I've lost a parent, if there's any school that does not understand and that family is more important than some goddamn test, oh, you can have it. And sometimes yeah. midwifery programs are not flexible, but then they're like, birth is this flexible process. You need to be open and use critical thinking skills. You know, I'm like, huh? But you can't do that for someone who's maybe having an emergency in front of you. Or have Where a baby is your... or is breastfeeding. <laughs> yes. All the time. Yes. <laughs> yes. Recently had uh, a patient who admitted they got into midwifery school and they're so excited. And um, she was just talking about her nursing part, which for some people may know there are some similarities. She was like, I couldn't miss class. I couldn't miss class. And so she comes to the clinic and she's seven centimeters. <laughs> and she's like, I just couldn't miss class. And so she's like, yeah, the pain was increasing a bit more, but I couldn't miss class. Is it? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. We can do better. I think that's, that's my I mean, I could talk about it forever. We could do more of the analysis. But at the end of the day, if we don't treat it as an emergency, if we treat it as like an adjacent issue, oh, the midwife of color committees are having a problem, not midwifery is having a problem, Mm -hmm. then it's not an issue. It's either an issue for all midwives or it isn't. And some people just they're still at the point where this is a midwives of color issue. It's not a white midwifery. It's not a white midwife issue. It's not everyone's problem. But it's really a national healthcare problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe that's what people don't understand. And I don't know. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. (laughs) I mean, I agree with you. And I think at the end of the day, um, there is a, you know, when I was a doula, uh, my doula mentor at the time, Maisha uh, Campbell, used to always say, you know, there's a pot for every lid. And so, you know, I do find it interesting that, um, you know, do I think that being, um, do I think having uh, a Black midwife, a Latino midwife, a native midwife, an Asian midwife, like I, I, I think it just provides better care and options to patients. And aren't we mm-hmm. always talking about that in midwifery? So yeah. why, why would we not do that? Why would we go, you know what? It's okay. We don't have to, we don't have to raise the minimum standard. I think the problem with midwifery, especially if you're someone who is, um, you like to achieve goals. You like to think about how can I be of service to my profession and to people who use our profession and to society is it's really disheartening to be in a place that 
I thought was going to be somewhat progressive, innovative, and it just isn't. And I think that's the tough part about being a midwife of color, to be a black midwife. It's that um, we, as midwives, um, just kind of want to do sometimes the minimum. And that's really hard for my personality type. I'm like, why would, why would I want to do that? <laughs> why? Yeah. Why? Why right now? With all the advances, all the things that we know, and with all the wisdom that we know from, ancest- from our ancestors, why on earth would we just not want to do better? And I think that is like the critical issue. So my issue is, if I were ever a program director, why would I not be scrutinizing those applications a bit more? Um, You know, in my program, why would I not raise my hand and go, ooh, you know, someone just made this like super offensive comment like that, like I can't let all these things slide, you know? Um, And then when you're in a room and you finally get to be the provider or the midwife, why are you then not fighting for your patient or advocating or um, maybe challenging sometimes even, you know, like um, I've heard nurses use like horrible language to patients or doctors. And I'll be like, that's just not okay. And I definitely will manage this person. And I want someone who maybe understands what this patient has to deal with. And if you want to make those jokes, maybe make them in the break room. Wow. And they just, yeah, because, you know, and then, of course, there are some days I just have to leave because maybe what I'm about to say will get me fired. So I also know there are times I just come to my car or listen to music or polo with my friends. Marco Polo is a great app, by the way. Mm-hmm. I'm um, <laughs> not. Yeah. And, you know, I just spent to midwifery friends. So it's not like I am like somehow this fierce person all the time. Like sometimes I'm like, oh, I got to protect my energy. Because we're in for like a long fight and I, you know, you just like you don't want a patient to get tired from pushing. I I also know that I need to keep my energy for the long run because I want to be a midwife for a long time. (laughs) Oh, I like that analogy. Mm -hmm. That's neat. And I do have to wonder, just thinking out loud, as we're discussing the fight, you know, to improve our diversity we're also continuously fighting for autonomous practice so it's like we have these two huge things that this community is always trying to move forward uh that can be overwhelming i think as you know the lobbying people and i don't know i don't have an answer it's my rhetorical thought no but you know the other thing and um my, I will just say this last year, I was part of um, the Black Midwives Alliance. I was a mentor in it. Absolutely um, love, 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 love having a mentee. I mean, she's now, like, she's this amazing midwifery student, soon to be midwife. And the other thing you just brought up about independent practice, I just, because she planted this seed in my head. Um, Mercedes. Um, the other thing about being a black wife is um, in some states, who will collaborate with you? Mm-hmm. So we always talk about this independent practice, but there are definitely black midwives in some states. They're like, they, especially maybe CPMs, excuse me, who mm-hmm. will talk about not feeling part um, or included in the larger midwifery community. And so that also has an implication for how you're practicing, right? So, again, it's not like just get us into schools, just um, hire me. It's like it affects how you do your work. And I, I, I definitely never get to opt out of being black. Like, I don't, I don't get that option. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. So. Um, but you did bring that an independent practice. I mean, I love being a midwife in the South. I mean, the South definitely has a hold on me. 
um, as you were asking me about Alaska, I was like, mm-hmm. I don't really foresee that in my future at this point, um, unless there's something the universe has for me. But um, I think being a midwife, especially in the South, um, it's just powerful. And I'm not saying midwives aren't needed in big cities, but I just, I really feel uh, of service here in this environment because there's so much work to do. And my, I would, I would be probably eternally grateful for normal as well. Like whenever I have a patient who's like in the window of normal, I'm like, this is so much fun. We'll just talk about what you want to talk about. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I know. know? There are days where I'm like, we admitted a labor guys, a real labor. (laughs) They're like, yay. <laughs> but, well, I definitely think the universe has planted you where you need to be. I am definitely glad to be here. Um, I think another passion project that people not may not realize is um, I love sexual and reproductive health and reproductive mm-hmm. justice and how we get that spread and what that really looks like in rural communities. Especially because I'm in the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. How does that look for you? How are you able to integrate that in your practice? So in my practice, I think um, even my um, H&P my, um, and the questions I ask and how I ask them mm-hmm. are different. And so I document um whether pregnancy is planned, whether it's welcomed or not. And, you know, I did learn that. I have tons of thoughts about where I was trained, but I did learn that from those midwives there, and I do. I'm very appreciative of that. I will say that. Um, So, you know, they were open-minded and understood you could be pregnant and not want to keep a pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, that choice isn't given to patients. And now, because we're in a fairly qualified health center, we are not allowed to um, we are not allowed to uh, offer like a abortion referrals. Mm-hmm. So, like maybe when I first started, if someone's like, "I don't think I want to do it," I used to just say, "Okay, why don't you come back in a few days? If I see you, then I, you know, know your choice. If I don't see you, I also know your choice. You know." Mm-hmm. And they would have, like, um, you know, there'd be a sheet of paper and, you know, they would make their decision. Um, now, um, because of the regulation and the new law, mm-hmm. um, how you even talk about that is, like, not okay. So, you know, so can you just not go. talk about it at all? Well, if you don't talk about it at all then patients don't know they had the option. Right. Right. So if you say, if a patient comes in for, we don't really have the practice of doing amenorrhea visits. So we mm-hmm. do new OB visits in my practice. So um, if you have a patient, you just work them up. Like a normal so, OB. Yes. Yeah. But you don't know if the person, one, um, person wants to move forward. And I think this is really important because I have patients that are 13, 14, 15. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what does that mean then? And it's not just saying because you're 13, 14, 15, you want to have an abortion. No, it's maybe there's nuance in like, did you, was this consensual? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so where do we then even have talks about consent? What does that look like? If someone's coming in with a family member and they're like, they're here for pregnancy, mm-hmm, work them up. Then maybe another example to give you some like context is, um, you know, people that are, again, 13, 14, 15, having sex and their parent brings them in and it's like, you have to give them birth control. I want them to be on birth control. And that person doesn't want to be on birth control. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, again, how do I inter- 
incorporate sexual and reproductive health and reproductive justice, it's really under, ha, understanding where that patient's at and what yeah. brought them here today. So my first question, even if I've done a bit of a chart review, is, so what brings you in today? Even for my return on beef, I'll be like, you can see. I'll be like, I want to hear from you. Because mm-hmm. the computer says one thing, you might be coming in for something totally different, and I mm-hmm. might miss it. So, so I think it's just that mindfulness. And then sometimes the thing, you know, being as like woke and offering all the choices, sometimes that's not a hit for some of my patients. They, they don't like that. Um, some patients have been offended by it when I say like, what are your preferred pronouns? Can't you see I'm a girl? Why are you asking me that? Oh, okay. Well, hold on. This is what I normally do. Mm-hmm. Or like, are you calling me gay? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So sometimes, you know, sometimes you really do have to think about the person in front of you. And even if I say, you know, my spiel, like, this is just part of my, you know, my assessment. I ask everybody this. You know, sometimes that's just, that's not okay for some people. They don't want mm-hmm. you to ask them that. So, yeah. It's an ever-flexible, uh, open-minded practice, I feel <laughs> like, midwifery. You know, we're always adjusting for that person and not keeping it black and white. Exactly. And I think, you know, that is what we should be moving forward to. And I think some people don't. Like some people are like, if you're pregnant, you have to stay pregnant. If you're, you don't have an STD, you're promiscuous. If you want to find out about birth control, you're having sex. And it's like, again, there's nuance to everything. Um, And I think it's really at the heart. Kind of getting our patients to trust us and share their stories because our patients open up when they trust you. Mm-hmm. And so this goes back to having options like, you know, maybe I don't want to open up to the person who doesn't look like me, who, you know, looks like they have nothing in common. Exactly. And then, you know, you know, I think it's also that. And I think that in my opinion, that's, I think, why I probably love sexual and reproductive health and reproductive justice, because um, it it tends to be, not always, but sometimes focused also maybe around young people and this critical time in their lives where you're like, you're allowed to say no to your mom. Like, you know, you're allowed to advocate for yourself in certain ways, Um and here are some healthy ways and here's how we're going to maybe do it together. So it's probably why I really um, think having that as part of my practice is important. And mm-hmm. it's just a value that I'm try- I appreciate a lot more. Yeah, I like that. Well, I think everyone should. <laughs> that's my opinion. <laughs> everyone should implement it that way. But everybody's different. Do you have anything to add that we didn't? discuss because you have so many great things if your practice doesn't have a midwife of color let's critically question that the why and you know it doesn't have to be this like kumbaya moment but just really why and what can we do about that Mm -hmm. um two it is a new decade let's like rock the crap out of midwifery like let this be the decade because who really wants to be doing minimum? Let us do amazing things this decade. And um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm excited about the future. And I hope that maybe someone listening to your podcast is interested in rural midwifery. Um, It's not that bad because people, community and families need you here as much as they do in those big cities. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) You're a walking proof. (laughs) Well, thank you for taking the time out of your day to chat with me. Thank you. I so appreciate it. You've been wonderful. And it was a pleasure talking with you and getting to know your story. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like to interview or know someone who does or encourage someone who has a great story or viewpoint to share, have them reach out to me. Easy to find. I'm in one place now. Journey to midwiferypodcast at gmail.com. The email address is in the show notes and on the podcast page. But again, journey to midwiferypodcast at gmail.com. I can't wait to hear from you and share your story. Thank you.